Wow, it's great to have everyone here this morning. Great to see all these kids here today for Sunday Fun Day, and uh, just really delighted with uh, uh, all that's going on. Pastor Michael's doing a great job. Um, for those of you who are maybe new to Parkway, Pastor Michael, our children's pastor, has uh, just started here a couple months ago, and he's doing a really terrific job with our kids, and we're really excited about that. So, uh, uh, yeah, he, uh, he, he's got some good skills there. Anyway, I hope you're doing okay. How many of you got through the first snowfall of the year this week, eh? Yeah. It's always a shock, isn't it? Isn't that a funny thing? You know it's coming, but then when it happens, it's like, oh, really? All right. Guess we got to get used to it. Anybody got your Christmas tree up yet? Anybody? Confessions now. Come on. Raise your hand if you got your Christmas tree up yet. I've seen a few around town. Yeah. Okay, all right. Some of you won't admit it, but I did listen to Christmas music for the first time yesterday. Yeah, I did. I got that out, but anyway, I'll be tired of it in a few weeks, but all right, so we're talking about God's identity crisis here in this series, and uh, we're having a good time with it, and uh, really, I think, learning a lot. I know that uh, the group that I'm part of, as we've been discussing this in our, in our, in our connection group, it's been uh, some really interesting discussion, and, you know, we talked about, uh, last week, we talked about God being, uh, is God a man? Like, does he look like a man? Does he, uh, something on the floor here. All right, does he look like a man? And, and in our group, uh, one of our, one of the members of our group said, no, never, never even thinks of God as like being a, a, a man. Um, always thinks of God as being like a, a big light. And uh, I thought it was really interesting as different people experience God in different ways. And uh, that's really helpful. So we've been talking about some, some maybe some, some unhelpful views of God. Uh, there may be a little bit of truth in them. I can't say that they're all lies or anything like that, but they're just not always the most helpful way to view God. And then we've been talking about some ways. We've been kind of contrasting that with some positive ways to look at God. And so over the last couple of weeks, we've talked about, is God a traffic cop? Is he, you know, he, is he waiting around the corner just over the hill, ready to grab you and punish you because you did something wrong? Um, and we decided, no, that's not really God's character, um, that he's not really like that traffic cop. Not that all traffic cops are bad, they do a great job, but, um, and then, and, but really God would be more like, we talked about that week, uh, God would be more like a trusted friend, someone that you could go to in your time of need and you could, you could count on him to be able to help you out in your time of need. Then last week we talked about the, you know, is God a sweet old man, you know, that kind of benign kind of guy that just is nice to everybody. And uh, is, is that God? Is, is that how God is? And we decided, no, that's really not it. But we talked about God's leadership capabilities or how he leads us and how he directs us and how he, he's there not with a, a he's, he's there so strong in our lives and able to give us a direction. And today we're going to talk to about, is God the cosmic slot machine? You know, is he there for us just so that we can just pull the, the, the slot machine and out comes, you know, the, the great things? Um, or is he, could we talk about him in terms of being a great gardener? Well, this concept of a slot machine, let's talk about that first. Um, you know, gamblers are divided into two groups. There's winners and there's losers. Right? That's pretty much it. If you gamble, you either win or you lose. And uh, most people who gamble lose. You know that? 
That's why you shouldn't gamble. It's just stupid. <laughs> All right. Um, you know, winners and losers. Everything is divided between winners and losers. You're blessed or you're cursed. The problem with gambling is the odds are always against you. You will lose more than you will win. It's all set up so that the house wins more often than it loses. That's how the house makes money. That's what keeps gambling going. That's why our government uh, sponsors gambling in our culture, you know, because it's a form of voluntary taxes. Did you know that? Don't ever, comp- if you are a gambler, if you go to the racetrack or the slots or you buy the lottery tickets, don't ever complain about your taxes because you're just volunteering to pay more taxes. You see, because, because when, when, you, when you gamble, you are, you are guaranteeing that the house is going to win. Yes, you might win, but chances are you won't. That's all, it's all about chance. Many view God in the same kind of way, that being, you know, uh, a follower of God, being in relationship with God is a gamble. He either blesses you or he curses you. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of superstitious, you know, little, you know how, how people gamble, you know, they have their little favorite rabbit's foot or they have, you know, they have all these little superstitions and people have superstitions about God. If I just, if I do this, if I do that, if I, if I say the right words or if I, you know, if I, if I have the right formula or if I'm, I have the right posture, if I'm kneeling, if I'm whatever, you know, people have all different kinds of superstitions about God. If I could just get God, uh, to bless me, um, then, uh, then it's good. The problem is that when you hit a particular loss in life, which is inevitable, every one of us is going to face things that are challenges and difficulties. We're going to have disappointments in life. It's inevitable. Then people wonder why God isn't blessing them. And, you know, one of the most common things, this is one of the most common uh, misrepresentations of God because you hear it when people face problems. They'll say, well, well, you know, why did God do this to me? Why did God let this happen? Well, I don't deserve this. He doesn't deserve it. She doesn't deserve it. You know, there's this idea that God is there to bless us and that if, we, if we're not blessed by God, then we're cursed by God. It goes something like this, you know, um, you're a winner when you're, you know, driving through the parking lot and you pray that you get a parking spot close to the door of Walmart because, <laughs> because it's raining out and you, you, you know, you want, and you need to get in there quick and you need to get out quick. And so you pray, God, let me, help me find a parking spot. And then you, then, then, you know, you get in, you get that parking spot right by the door. And it's not even a handicapped parking spot that you had to steal, right? You've got a legitimate parking spot right by the door. And you say, oh, what a blessing. And even you even, you even you know, send out a tweet or a Facebook post or whatever, hashtag blessed, because you got the parking spot, right? Or, you know, I, I, you're in a hurry to get somewhere, and you just pray, Lord, if I could just get a series of green lights up Bank Street, that would really be nice. You know, they've got all those extra lights now through Finley Creek. If I could just get all green lights through there, then it would be good. Then I'd be blessed. And, uh, you know, you might even have, it might be something more serious. You may get home from a trip. Maybe you're driving home from Toronto. You take the 401, the 416. You get home, and then you, you, you check, you check your, uh, the news, and you find out you just missed a pileup 
in a, in a, uh, a storm along Highway 401. Whew. I was there like three minutes before. I'm so blessed. God was taking care of me. True, he was. But what about the people that were three minutes behind you? Are they cursed? The people that got caught in the pileup? If you're blessed, if there's only winners and losers, and you're blessed, then they're the losers. You're the winner. They're the losers. God was watching over you, but he wasn't watching over them. Well, they must have done something wrong. They must have deserved it. You didn't deserve it. You know, that kind of thinking just doesn't really work out, does it? I mean, we can understand that we are blessed by God. There's no doubt about that. And God watches over us. But we can't see life as being we're winners and they're losers in life. You, 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 uh, but what happens if it's, maybe it's not you that gets caught in the accident on the 401, but what if it's someone you love, someone you care about? You see, that kind of rationale, when you start thinking about God and you think about God's, God's ability and God's uh, sovereignty and God's ability to know everything, then when you have that kind of thinking that God is, is there in that situation, you run into some problems. Underneath this kind of thinking, this kind of slot machine thinking about God, uh, it could be, or you could think of it as Santa Claus, you know? You, you, you ask Santa Claus for something and you get it, you don't get it. You know, all of those kind of things. There's, there's some really wrong concepts behind that. Maybe not wrong isn't the word, that's a strong word. They're limited concepts to think about. I, I'm going to talk about three of them, first of all. God is involved in every detail and has a reason for everything, even though it might be beyond our understanding. Now, you've probably heard people say this. Everything is for a reason. Everything, God's in control of everything, and everything's for a reason. That sounds good. But if you take that to its logical conclusion, then you run into some problems. You run into problems when you start thinking about that pileup on the 401, the people that, that got into an accident with a, with a tractor trailer in a snowstorm. If God, God knew that was happening... If God, if God was in control of that, what's his purpose? What's the reason for that kind of thing? Is there a reason for everything? And some people, that, that's, they throw that kind of glib thinking out at people and say, oh, well, it must be for a reason. God always has a reason. Does he? Really? You know, uh, another one might be, well, God is biased. God has some favorites. He likes some people, and he doesn't like other people. He likes good people, and he like, doesn't like bad people. So good people get, what, get, get blessing, and, and, um, and bad people don't. And so God has this, he plays favorites. And you can have this in, in people, you can have this in, in, in groups like churches. Our church is blessed because God likes us better than the church down the road. That's, you know, only got three or four people left in it. We must be doing the right thing, and he must be blessing us because we know, we, we've got the blessing of God. Or, or we might say, you know, um, we might say, well, our country is blessed because we somehow have, have a history of, of God in our nation. And we may say, we're blessed and other countries aren't blessed. We, the reason why we have so much and the reason why they have so little is because God loves us and he doesn't love them. 
It's all right for children to starve somewhere in another country where they, where they may be, you know, maybe they worship false gods or another god or whatever. But we, you know, we have, we have right over the doorway or the archway of the peace tower, it says, you know, uh, that God shall have dominion from sea to sea. And that's our blessing. Because we have that there, that's God, God's blessing on us. And because we have, you know, a line in our national anthem that calls out to God, you know, th- that kind of thinking. And, and other countries don't have that, so they're not blessed like us. God's biased. He has favorites. Or it could be, or, or the, the third one is, God's just random. He's a bit, he's a bit you know, he, he, he's a bit unstable. And he's really not sure what's going on. And you get what you get. Whatever it is, it's just, you know, he throws out the day and wherever it lands, it lands and you get what you get. Some days you get good things and sometimes you don't. Some days the blessings are falling and sometimes they're not. And it's a really random thing. These, these, these three kind of concepts, they're, they're, there's truth in all of them, but there's a problem if this is how you view God only. Because what happens is, you have to ask yourself the question when you face a difficulty in life, did God make this happen? Is God the source of my pain? Is is God the reason why I got the diagnosis of cancer? Is God the reason for my accident? Is God, is is this somehow his plan for my life that I'm going to suffer and struggle? Or did God just allow it to happen? Did he, does he just allow it to happen? Or, or was God as surprised as I was when I got the diagnosis? You see, if this is your stance towards God, or the understanding by which you view God's involvement in the world, you're as likely to be as disappointed with God as you will be if you choose to play the slots at the casino. Because God isn't going to always work for you the way you think he should. It's not going to work out. The problem is that we are looking to God to be there for our convenience, to be available for our comfort, as opposed to us being available for God and for his purpose. You see, if we look at Jesus, if we look at the story of Jesus in the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you look at the story of Jesus, he was a good man. He was the son of God. He did all the right things. He was blessed of God, but yet he was crucified. You see, just because you're doing God's will and just because you're in God's, following God's plan in your life and God, just because God's blessings on your life doesn't mean you don't face the trials and the tribulations of this life in this sinful world. You see, you might say, well, some, some might even say, well, God planned Jesus' crucifixion. It's God's fault. God killed Jesus. No, that's not true. Sin killed Jesus. It's not the wages of God is death. It's the wages of sin is death, the Bible says. It's sin. It's evil that demands the penalty of sin, not God. And Jesus died because all the wrath of sin came upon him in that moment in the crucifixion. So in the same way, we have to look at life and ask, is God the source of my disappointment? Is he the reason for death, accidents, and destruction in our lives? Of course not. In a world where free will is offered and when so many people choose to live selfishly, 
we are bound to fall victim to its consequences, even if we ourselves didn't participate in the evil. J.B. Phillips, in one of the books that we're studying right now, says this, The cumulative effect over the centuries of millions of individuals choosing to please themselves rather than the designer of the whole show has infected the whole planet. When you look at the fact that over centuries and, 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 and millennia um, that people have disobeyed God, they haven't followed God's plan, that sin has, has had its way in so much of the world, when we look at that, of course there's going to be trouble. Of course there's going to be difficulty. When people live selfishly, when people live for themselves, when people live out of place of greed, when they live at a place of envy, when they live at a place of live out of a place of hatred, then they of course are going to make decisions that are going to have ramifications not just for themselves but for the whole world. You know, when we um, when we have you know bad weather, people like to blame God, and they tell us that we're going to have more bad weather, that the weather's going to be more difficult. It's going to get you know we have these weird weather patterns, and we could say, well, you know. Your insurance company might call that an act of God, right? It's not an act of God. It might be an act of nature, but God's not up there throwing lightning bolts down. He's not there, you know, uh, uh, stirring up winds in the ocean to cause a tsunami. He's not up there, you know, twirling his finger to make a tornado that's going to fly through your neighborhood. That's not God. But we are told by scientists today that some of the things that we have done to the planet, some of the things that we have done out of greed, out of, out of our, our, our not thinking or not really knowing sometimes, but we have done some things and we have damaged, damaged our planet, we've damaged the environment, we've damaged things, and we are living with the consequences of those things. And we have to understand that when people make decisions, even people long before us, even people, it might not be us today, we may, you know, we may, you know, put all our garbage in the right bin, (laughs) blue, black, green, we might do it all the way we're supposed to do it today, but because someone maybe didn't do it, or because, you know, large scales of population, you know, uh, have polluted the earth with, with toxins, they tell us that we're seeing weather patterns change. And this is the point, is that, you know, we can't blame God for everything that goes wrong in our life. We can't blame God. We can't say, oh, God's making this happen. Everything happens for a reason. As long as we play the game of life in this world, we ought to know that the house will ultimately win. So let's not play the game as winners and losers. Let's invite Jesus into, uh, let's follow Jesus into a different way of living one of consecration to him and to, his, and to his kingdom. If we have this kind of mindset, if we say, God, it's not about you blessing me, but me being a blessing to you and being a blessing to others. If that's our, if that's our posture, if we take the posture of we're going to do the right thing before God and do the right thing before our fellow humanity be, amongst one another. We're gonna, in other words, as God said, as Jesus said, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. If we're going to do that, if that's how we're going to live, it doesn't mean everything's going to go well for us. It doesn't mean we're going to all of a sudden be blessed with everything and we're going to, you know, you know uh, fly through life on twinkle toes like Fred Flintstone or something. I'm dating myself there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
We won't always get our choice of parking spot. But that doesn't mean we're not blessed of God and that God is not watching out for us. So what might be a better way to think about God? If he's not that cosmic slot machine and we're not going to be the winners all the time, how might we look at God in a more healthy way? Well, Jesus says, maybe he tells a story again, or he he gives another metaphor, and he tells us this might be a way to look at God that will help you to understand how God works in your life and how you can count on him in the times in your life where maybe you're going through some struggles or when you're blessed, how you can understand how God is at work on your life. And Jesus says it's kind of like God is a gardener. Well, not just any old gardener, not a flower gardener. He's a, he's a, he's a production farmer. He's out to, 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 to get um, uh, a, a large crop. He's, he's, he's concerned about fruitfulness. He's concerned about, and, and, and the illustration that Jesus uses, or the metaphor he uses, is that, that God is the owner of a vineyard. So really, ultimately, what he's trying to do is he's trying to produce grapes that will produce good wine. That's what he's doing. Jesus says it this way. He talks, he's talking from the perspective of God. I am the real vine, and my father is the farmer. He cuts off every branch of me that doesn't bear grapes, and every branch that is grape-bearing he prunes back so it will bear even more. You are already pruned back by the message I have spoken. Live in me, make your home in me, just as I do in you. And in the same way that a branch can't bear grapes by itself, but only by being joined to the vine, you can't bear fruit unless you are joined with me. I am the vine. You are the branches. You, when you're joined with me and I with you, the relation is intimate and organic. The harvest is sure to be abundant. Separated, you can't produce a thing. Anyone who separates me from, from me is dead wood, gathered up and thrown into the bonfire. But if you make yourself at home with me and my words are at home in you, you can be sure that whatever you ask will be listened to and acted upon. This is how my father shows who he is when you produce grapes, when you mature as my disciples. So Jesus is saying, Jesus is calling himself, he's the the vine, he's the main vine. God's the farmer, he says, and we're the branches. And we're the production side of things. We're the ones that produce the fruit. He's a gardener, he's the keeper of the vineyard, and he's most interested in fruitfulness. The way he measures success is not by whether or not everything goes perfect in our lives, but whether or not we're fruitful. How we, how we are able to multiply and be benefits, beneficial to others. The involvement of the gardener then, the involvement of God, is focused on fruitfulness. He's not about playing favorites, He's just about making sure that each one of the branches is bearing the maximum amount of fruit possible. And so when God looks at our lives, he's looking for fruit. And a farmer, in this kind of case, in the face of a case of a vineyard, he has to be flexible. He has to go along and he has to look at each vine and each branch and he has to decide what's the best thing 
for this little branch? Is it producing anything? How can I get it to produce more? How can I work? And he's flexible. He's not, he doesn't have a one-size-fits-all kind of way of thinking. He has, he has a very specific plan and purpose and a way of working in each of our lives. He doesn't, he doesn't apply the same kind of um, uh, uh, um, reasoning and thinking to me as he does to you because you're different and I'm different. We're at different stages in our life and different stages in our maturity. And God is very, very interested in what's happening in your life. Sometimes in that flexibility, God does a little bit of pruning. The farmer does a lot of pruning. And, uh, you know, you know, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta pick off the, the, the things that aren't producing. They're just, you know, where all the leaves are coming and it's, there's no fruit there. And so the, the farmer is involved in pruning, actively intervening to work against the natural inclinations of the vine. You see, if you just let a vine grow wild, there's lots of wild grapes around here. You notice that? Lots of wild vines around. My mom used to, you know, back in the, in the 80s, how many of you remember having like grapevine wreaths and all that kind of thing, you know, with pretty blue flowers and peach flowers, and, you know. My mom loved collecting these vines off of fences, and then she'd make her own little wreaths out of it and that kind of thing. And, and, and because it grow everywhere, but you couldn't make wine out of them. You can't even eat those grapes. Because those, those vines are just let to grow on their own. And when you just grow on your own, you don't produce good fruit. Well, it's good for the birds. It's good for maybe the, 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 you know, some of the animals around. Yeah, they can eat it. But when it comes to humans and the, the, what, what tastes good and what it produces good fruit for us, it's not really going to cut it. J.B. Phillips put it this way. It was with the motive and attitude of the heart, that is the emotional center that Christ was concerned. It was this that he called on men to change, for it is plain that once the inner affections are aligned with God, the outward expression of the life will look after itself. So what's he saying here? It's kind of, kind of awkward language here that J.B. Phillips is using, but what he's saying is God is more concerned about your heart what's going on inside of you, the maturity and the fruitfulness of what's coming out of you from the inside than he is with all the things like parking spaces and stuff like that. The measurement of God's care and love in your life is not whether or not you get the parking space or whether or not you get the job that you've been praying for or whether or not you get, you know, that, that perfect um, uh, a score on the test that you're writing this week. The real test of whether God is working and blessing in your life is are you growing and changing and maturing and becoming more fruitful from the outside, from the inside out. We often look at the outside things, the things to our comfort, but God's looking at the inside things. When we invite God into our lives, when we ask him to bring about change, he makes us into what he wants us to be. And he accepts that responsibility in the same way the gardener will accept responsibility in his, in, his, in his vineyard. He takes very seriously what's going on in your life, and he's mostly concerned with what's coming from the inside out. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul puts it this way. He says, but the Holy Spirit 
produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the true tests of the blessing of God in your life. Are these things growing in your life in increasing measure? Are you seeing yourself? You see, sometimes God, yeah, God is going to do a little bit of pruning, and he's going to say, no, you're going to get the farthest parking spot today because (laughs) you need a little work on that patience today. Or the self-control. You know, and I don't think God's up there like a, you know, a computer programmer mastering all these kind of things. He just understands that this is how life happens. And if we, if we are protected from all the pain and all the struggles in life, we'll never grow from the inside out. Those things that we, you know, most change that comes about in our life is because of pain. Most, most change that comes in our life is because we, we hit a wall and we, 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 we come to a point in our life where we can't continue to go on the way we're going on. And maybe the doctor says, you've got to change. Maybe your spouse says, you've got to change. I'm not sticking around here. You know, we can't, we can't go on the way we're going on. We can't, we can't have this kind of relationship. Maybe your boss says to you, you know, you know if you're going to stay on here, you've got to change the way you think and the way you behave in this office or in the, where I work or whatever. We had a problem in our life, and that forces us to make a change. You see, the inner working of the heart, our emotional maturity, is... Is, is what brings about the production of character. And again, what is God most interested in? If you were to sum up all the things that God is interested in your life, it's about loving God and loving your neighbor. And if you really want to test whether God is blessing your life, you've got to ask yourself, am I more in love with God? Am I more caring towards my neighbor? You see, when those things are growing in our life, we know that God's at work in our life, that God is blessing us. Those are the things. That's the true fruit of God's blessing in your life. God's in the garden. He's guiding. He's cutting. He's watering. He's planting. Not for our comfort and not for our convenience, but for the development of fruitfulness. Then Romans 8.28, we need to talk about this for just a minute because this, this verse gets misquoted a lot. This goes along with the idea that God's in control of everything and everything happens for a reason. People will quote this verse to you. It says this. It says, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Now, a lot of people, they they misquote this. They say, they, they quote it and they say, Well, God, we know that God causes everything to work together for good. Well, that means I get the parking spot. That means I get the good diagnosis. That means, that means my kids get, you know, top scores in their tests. That means, that means my life's just going to be charmed. I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to win the lottery this week. Because God promises that everything's going to work together for good. No, that's not what it says. God works everything together for the good. The good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Well, what's good in your life? When, when do you know that it's good in your life? When you love God and you love your neighbors yourself. When those things in our life, that, the, the things that, that cause us to, to be, you know, things like anger and hatred and envy and greed and, you know, all these underlying sins in our life, when those things start 
you know, getting smaller and things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control are growing in our life, we know God's at work and we're blessed. That's the blessed life. That's what it means to be blessed. He's not a master manipulator. He's not up there tinkering with your life so that, uh, so that you will, uh, you, everything's gonna work out and you're gonna get the slot machine thing going for you. He's, he's working for your fruitfulness. He's working so that you will grow and that you will develop and you will become the person you were intended to be from the inside out. He's a master gardener. And this leaves much more room for us to understand the interplay between life and, and, where, and, and what's happening in our world and what God's about what God's doing. You see, it doesn't say God is going to make everything good in your life. He's going to work it together for good, for your development, for your growth. And it's not that God's making that happen. I don't see God making that happen. I see God just takes the circumstances of our life and he makes what's best out of it. You know, um, once you break an egg, you can't get it back in the shell. And once you break the yolk, you're not going to have a sunny-side-up egg anymore. So what do you do? You make an omelet. And if you go to the restaurant for breakfast, you'll pay more for an omelet than you will for the sunny-side-up egg. You see... God takes the things of our life that are broken, the things that maybe have come to us that normally you would say, that's not a blessing, that's a curse. That's not a blessing, that's damage. I I can't get that back. I can't recover that, that lost relationship. I can't recover from that divorce. I can't recover from that abuse. I can't recover from being fired from my job. I can't recover from those things. Life is over for me. No, when you put your life, your hands, your life in God's hands, God can take your broken eggs and make them into omelets. Really good ones. There's a trick to making a good omelet. And God knows how to make an omelet out of all the brokenness of our life. He makes something beautiful out of everything that we've broken. That's what it means when it says God works together for the good of those who love him. He'll take all that mess that you bring to him and that you lay before him and he can make something. He can take a vine that's unproductive, a vine that is, is, is not, not producing the way it's supposed to be, it's not fruitful, and he can, he can feed it, he can water it, he can, he can prune it, he can work at it, and he can turn that into something that's fruitful and something beautiful and something meaningful. And he wants to make something meaningful out of every aspect of your life. And when you face the brokenness and you face the difficulties in life, God's not just going to pour out to you a whole bunch of money or a whole bunch of this or that. He's just going to take what your life is and he's going to work it together for good for you. So I encourage you this morning, as you look at your own life and you look what you have and you look at what life has dealt you and the problems that you have, the challenges you have, the, you know, how hard it is in raising your kids and uh, the challenges that come along with that and trying to, trying to put food on the table and taking care of everything and, and the, 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 the sicknesses and all the stuff that we face in life, all the disappointments we face in life and all the challenges we face in life. And we just take it and we say, God, this is my life. And he says, sure, let's work with that. 
He wants to work with you. He wants to work with your circumstances. He wants to work with your life. He wants you just to lay it at his feet, and he'll help you to make something beautiful out of your life. You may not win the lottery. You may not, you may not get a, you know, go to the mailbox tomorrow, if you still go to the mailbox, and, and check, you know, find a check there for, you know, millions of dollars. Do you remember the Reader's Digest sweepstakes, anybody? <laughs> and they would send you that check, but it really wasn't a check. Oh, it's deceptive. You may not find something there in your mailbox, but God promises he's going to take whatever your circumstances are and he's going to make something beautiful. He's going to make you fruitful. He's going to develop the character in you that will make you a person that is a blessing not only to yourself, but to all the people around you. So I encourage you this morning, turn your life and your will over to God completely so that he can do what he wants to do in your life. And stop looking at, at, at God to be <laughs> uh, your slot machine, but rather cooperate with him to do the work that he wants to do in your life. Let me pray for you. Lord, I thank you for this chance for us to be able to just dig into your word. And this, this beautiful picture, Lord, that, uh, that you gave of God being the farmer, the gardener, and you being the vine, and us being the branches, just gives us such a clear picture of how our relationship works together with you that you're there to be our source, that you're there to be our, 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 our caretaker, that you're there to produce in us the character and the quality that you desire to see and that we desire to see, Lord. You really want to bless us with the good things of life, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the gentleness, the self-control, all of those things, Lord, you want to bring into our life in increasing measure on a daily basis. So Lord, we turn over our lives to you. And there may be some messes, there may be some broken yokes in it, but Lord, we just entrust you, Lord God, to do the work that you promised you'll do in our life and make it all work together for, the, for our good, for the good of the world around us, to make us a better person and to make this world a better place through us. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.